If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to um, uh, Malachi chapter 1. I almost said Zechariah. <laughs> we were in Zechariah for some time, but we find ourselves in Malachi this morning. While you're opening up there, and if, uh, by the way, uh, in the Pew Bibles, I believe that it's page uh, 801. If that's not true, somebody kind of gets there with the Pew Bible and realizes that frown at me and I'll try to make sure we figure out what it is. But uh, while you're opening up to Malachi, uh, we continue in the same sermon series, okay? Uh, because remember, uh, we have been in this sermon series that's spanning three books of the Bible, Haggai, Zechariah, and now Malachi. These, uh, uh, these prophets in all likelihood were uh, in some form or fashion contemporaries, however you wanted to define that. Uh, Malachi, you can kind of put him in a lot of different places depending on uh, uh, on where you go, but uh, for, for our purposes, I, I actually don't believe uh, we need to worry about that as much because uh, we're going to see from God's Word exactly what we need to see. But uh, what we do find is that as we're transitioning from Haggai and Zechariah into Malachi, that, that we are bringing it home in a sense because uh, as we have seen in, in God's Word, it doesn't matter, for instance, if Genesis is put at the very end of the Bible or Revelation is swapped to the very beginning, but there is some continuity with having Genesis be the first book because it talks about the very first things, right? God's creation. And so as we see here with Malachi, it's a bridge between the Old Testament and, and into this intertestamental period, this, this dark zone where uh, the people of God in some sense wondered, is, is this it? Has God truly abandoned us? And yet, over and over, God is reminding them, just like our sermon series, it's a homecoming. I brought you home. And it's a heart check. It's not just a land place, people. I've brought you home, but I am going to bring you home to the heavenly place in perfection. And I'm going to do that by myself. It will be me that does this for you. That's what Malachi tells us, that God will perfect his people. It is powerful in so many ways because there is so much connection going forward, so much connection going back in this hinge, hinge prophet and book of the Bible. And we are here this morning in Malachi chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5, the structure of Malachi is quite simple. Uh, there are some questions that God's people have for God. They might not be verbalized. They might only dwell within the heart. But those questions are real nonetheless. And if we were looking for a reason why we should be here, when you see the questions, I, even for me as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, I think to myself, yes, Lord, I know why your spirit has preserved this word for your people throughout time, because they are needed and God answers them. And that is good for us, even when it can get a little intense which it will, and yet the intensity only comes because God is good enough to take us seriously and reveal to us how we might move forward well. And so with these things in mind, uh, uh, the main point this morning of our uh, uh, first uh, uh, um, sermon out of Malachi is this, God loves his people by choosing his people 
which is the basis for true love and relationship. If we wanted to kind of hear a little bit of uh, application before I pray to kind of whet your appetite, true love, good relationships, isn't that something that you might like to know a little bit more about in a world that loves to think they know all about it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read his word. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. And God, now we pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And even, even as the Apostle Paul says, give, give us heart eyes that we might see with our souls, that we might be affected and changed and leave this place better with a deeper relationship with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, it stands forever. Thanks be to God for such truths. Remember our main point. God loves his people by choosing his people, which is the basis for true love and relationship. Four points will help us to see this. God's words, God's people's words, God's choice, and God's people's choice. Really, you could say two points. I thought four would help us flow a little bit better. First, God's words. That's verse one and the first part of verse two, this conversation. God's words show us that he, uh, what he wants to say and how he's going to say it. Uh, God is a really good communicator. He communicates well. He is perfect after all. He knows when to use illustrations, when to use songs, when to be indirect, and, as is the case here, when to be very direct. So, God calls his messenger, whose name is literally my messenger in the Hebrew Malachi to give direct answers to his people's heart questions. Uh, that, that play on words, Malachi, my messenger, he's going to send a messenger, a forerunner in John the Baptist. There is a, a messenger that can be considered angels who come throughout scripture. And here we see a messenger named messenger with a message. <laughs> and the message is this. It's straightforward and direct. I have loved you. That's God's message. Period. I have loved you. That's the first point. But there's a problem. 
And it's the doubting hearts of humanity. It's our own hearts that question God's explicit and direct, no need for interpretation or explanation message to us. It's our second point. God's people's words. And it's the middle part of verse 2. And it's very straightforward. God's word to his people, I have loved you. His people's words back, how? How have you loved us? And before you think that God's people then are the only ones holding a question like this in their heart, and honestly I don't think that you do, have you searched your own? Don't think about the culture. Don't think about the church. Think about yourself. Have you searched your own heart to consider if this is a question that you are asking and you might not be saying the words exactly? Actions speak louder than words, don't they? And it's hard to hide how we really feel, isn't it? And it's obvious when God's people don't have a high regard for God. This is that sinfully selfish and prideful part of us that we are constantly doing battle with. These questions that sometimes we try to beat down thinking that's the right thing to do. Because if we were to verbalize such things, wouldn't it mean that we were unfaithful? And yet we never realize that that sin is already welling up within us and when we beat it down like that, it only gives it room to grow. But even so, God's word remains. Just like questioning the existence of gravity doesn't make gravity go away, questioning God's love does not make God's love go away. Which is our third point as we continue this conversation. It's God's choice. Last part of verse 2 all the way through verse 4. And this is where things can get a little sticky depending on where you find yourself in belief and in knowledge of the Bible. Things can get a little confusing here if we aren't at least somewhat familiar with our Bible history from Genesis, at least, even though there's more that comes into play. Esau and Jacob, if you notice here, Esau and Jacob are mentioned, okay? Esau and Jacob are the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Esau was delivered first by the hair uh, of his teeth. He's delivered first and therefore considered the eldest, which meant he was a the majority of the inheritance of the family at that time. That included land, wealth, and uh, I think most importantly, blessing. Uh, the spiritual blessing that went through, uh, uh, typically speaking, the firstborn. But if you are familiar with the story, this was not to be so. In a crazy set of circumstances, not at all righteous, Esau lost not only his birthright for a single meal, by the way, the second most expensive meal in history, he also lost his father's blessing by Jacob's trickery. This was the landscape out of this where two nations of people not so fond of one another were born. Edom coming from Esau and Israel coming from Jacob. 
And here in Malachi, as can be seen in the rest of Scripture, God chose Jacob. Bible history gives us the context of this statement, but God himself must give us the meaning because it's difficult. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. We must be careful not to prescribe our worldly sinful emotion and interpretation of the word hate to the Lord and project it on to his actions. That would be severe overreach on our part uh, to the point where we are thinking we can know God on the inside instead of what God reveals to us. That's dangerous territory to be in. And when dealing with dangerous territory and obviously difficult truths in the Bible, we must not overreach, which causes us to fall into worldly or personal interpretation. Rather, we must deal with what God has given us. And so what has he given us? God has chosen a people to love. And those people will follow after him in worship and belief. Esau had every chance in the world to follow after God in worship and belief, but he didn't. The same is true for the nation he founded. In fact, instead of worshiping God, Edom aided Babylon to destroy God's people in Israel and Judah. That destroying wasn't just stuff that was being taken. It was severe brutality to a degree that no news story today coming out of the Middle East can describe. Nothing today compares to what happened with those conquests then. The brutality was extreme and attested. For instance, in the book of Obadiah, where God speaks to this betrayal. In and because of this unbelief and this action revealing their unbelief, in and because of those things, did God reveal and show with strong language what follows in verses 2, 3, and 4. And it's tough, but warranted. Humanly speaking, though, some of us, many of us, the majority of us, all of us, still find that hard to hear when we take it to its logical extreme. God's sovereignty, his choice, and the words that are used. But this isn't all of God's choice. It's only half. And we still haven't seen the craziest part. As God chooses to rightly judge unbelief, to punish those citizens of his creation that actively chose to go against him, God also chooses a scandalous next step. Which one is more offensive to the ear? A murderer behind bars or a murderer on the streets. Say that it's very close to you. Say that you're in the courtroom 
And you know what has transpired. You know the guilt. And the judge looks that murderer in the face and says, not guilty. You may go free. Compared to evidence presented, trial goes exactly the same way. You know what happened. And the judge looks at the murderer and says, guilty. Which one is more offensive to the ear? What do you think God's choice of his people really is? What do you think the gospel really is? The judgment of sinful people, of people who have done wrong things, is natural, ethical, just, appropriate, and logical. The salvation of sinful people, well, that is most scandalous. And this is exactly what God does when he chooses his people here and throughout time. Israel's sin, because Edom was not the only sinful nation. Israel's sin needed punishment like Edom's. Mine and your sin need that same punishment. It's the natural, ethical, just, appropriate, and logical conclusion. And God bends these principles to the very stress limit. He bends his natural order to the breaking point, And he chooses you. He sends his son to earth. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. But remember, uh, uh, Jesus the son is Jesus who is God. This is God we're talking about who takes on flesh. And all of a sudden, Jesus is living this perfect life as a man. This is God we're talking about. And he lives as a man this perfect life for the sole purpose of dying that he might take your place. Go back to the courtroom. The judge is standing there. The murderer, it, it's, it's clear cut that this is the one who is guilty. And he looks at the one who didn't do it and says, I'm sentencing you to death for the murder of XYZ. You are not guilty. That is scandalous. Imagine that happening today in our court system. That is scandalous. And it would lead to uh, the riots and the frustration like we haven't seen even in the past couple years. That's immensely scandalous. Every history book would remember it. It would be recorded throughout all time. All people would remember that moment. And they do. Because Jesus was crucified. But death couldn't hold him. In three days he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he prays for us actively as the Holy Spirit brings us into him that we might praise, worship, and glorify his name. And as this happens, more and more people grow and come in. As his people are coming in, those ones that he is choosing, that's the reality that's playing out. And it's God's choice. Only then... 
When we acknowledge the fullness of God's own choice, can we rightly see our fourth point, which is God's people's choice. Verse 5. As God works His work in each of His people, eyes are open to the truth. Verse 5, your own eyes shall see this. As eyes are open to the truth, that truth is verbalized in worship and humility. Great is the Lord, so says verse 5. As that truth is verbalized in worship and humility, it is spread throughout the nations beyond the border of Israel. To finish the verse, if you're looking for the Great Commission in Matthew, you see it here first. It's in Malachi. Just as it has always been, so will it will always continue. There is continuity with God's word for a purpose because God continually tells us that he does not change. And what has he not changed? He hasn't changed. Verse 2, I have loved you. Period. The other things he has taken care of. And we see that in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. God loves his people by choosing his people, which is the basis for true love and relationship. In other words, true love is choice. You heard it here first. Choice. The world's concept of falling in love is not real love. Real love is choice. When I chose to propose to Rebecca, then my girlfriend, she chose to say yes. And we choose one another every day. God chose me. With that choice, the Holy Spirit worked in me, giving me a confession of faith allowing me to choose the Lord. The world would have this concept of falling in love uh, when it feels good and magical, but then calls out for choice everywhere else. But the reality is the world buckles under its own ill logic. It doesn't make any sense. And yet the scriptures do. And God does. Because he is sense. He is truth. And love is choice. And it's just like an elder from a previous church I served in, a child psychologist used to say, you know, son, people do. They're going to do what they're going to do. In other words, what he was saying, with less theology uh, uh, or less scripture reference, but just the same amount of theology, is that people are going to choose what they love. And you see it as plain as day whenever they go about their lives. True love is choice. But this concept and principle, it goes beyond uh, dating or, or marriage or something like that. In your life and your relationships, what are you choosing to do? And what are you not choosing to do? Ask the question vertically first. What am I choosing to do and not do in relationship with God? It's your choice. And then ask the question horizontally. What am I choosing to do and not do in relationship with those around me? Once again, it's your choice. 
The famous one is the text message. Uh, this might be my generation, okay? I don't want to call out anybody, but I will call out my generation. Uh, you text somebody, uh, and you don't get the text back. Oh, sorry, I've been a little busy. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a text message. Uh, no, everybody knows you're lying, right? But we all do it, right? It's a text message. It's silly. It's a silly example, but it's so true. Uh, you shoot a text message, and then it's like 18 days later. Sorry, I've been so busy for 18 days. No, it's okay. We just, you just forgot, right? But you choose to do that, as opposed to others who will immediately choose to text back. So silly, right? No big deal, honestly. It's just uh, somebody's thinking, man, did he text me? <laughs> Is he talking about me? But, but that's the reality that we live in where, where we need to realize that, that those that are around us, we, we have a choice with what, with what relationships uh, and, and, and what movement in between, what all of it is. There, there's choices to be made every moment of every day and it can be exhausting and tiring, which is why we flee away from it. But that's a choice too. And, and we need to begin to reckon with that and see what the Lord has for us in living lives that can move forward well, with uh, uh, not with exhaustion, but with contentment and peace and energy from Him. Uh, not just to uh, try to skate by on autopilot, but to actively choose where we are and why. And to recognize that fate isn't guiding us. Scandalous. What a scandalous concept. As we think about God who is in control of all things. And yet has revealed to us a will that can move. That can breathe. That has choice. And as we open up the gospel even more we begin to see something. We begin to see that we are bound by the world and by our own sin. Which is why we praise God and rejoice as we confess in the Lord Jesus. And see that we are freed and loosed from the chains of, and bondage of sin. And of the world and of slavery and of Satan. And as we we are loosed. We confess in the Lord anew because we see uh, for the first time, as it were, the reality that this is God's creation and that we are God's creation and that there is an opportunity, a bridge in the Lord Jesus for us to get back in right relationship with Him. That's powerful. And yet don't let people, when you see this reformed part of our name, act like there's not a choice to be made. Frozen chosen, some people try to call us. But that's just a silly joke. It really is. We choose what we do. We choose who we are. What are you choosing? And why? It's a question we must ask ourselves. Do not be on autopilot. Autopilot will take you down the path of wickedness quicker than you can say wicked. <laughs> We must be active in our choices. Consider well what we are about to sing. If you have never asked these questions, ask them today. They are life-altering questions that every Christian, listen well, that every Christian must ask. Be humbled in the face of God's awesome love for you and sing, Christian, sing. While our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? 
Twas the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Consider them well as we sing, but first let's pray and thank God. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you tell us plainly, I have loved you. And so, God, now we ask, humbly, why? Why would you love such sinful wretches as us? We're not good. We mess up. We're weak. We don't do the right things. And even when we do, it's not even that great. And yet, Lord, it doesn't change the reality. I have loved you. I have loved you. And so God, remind us of such things as we ask these questions in song now. And praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.